Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here today. You know, it's interesting, the impact. I mean, from an earthly perspective, I shared last week on Father's Day, we talked a bit about our father. And I told you, I mean, I love my dad. I, I spoke last week using my dad's King James Bible. But you definitely don't expect me to do that more than once a year. I found that to be very complicated. I didn't know I'd forgotten how to read King James. But, and I'm very thankful for my earthly dad, though for the majority of, again, my growing up, I mean, he didn't really know how to father from a spiritual perspective, but God redeemed so much of what he did do. But he, it's interesting because my dad was a, a pretty good athlete, you know, for a good old boy. I mean, he was a little taller than me, about 6'1". He plays high school basketball and was really good in his day. And here's an irony. We had the same coach. Yeah. He didn't do a lot of coaching by the time I was on his team. <laughs> he was tired. Anyway, um, but so my dad really liked sports. We used to watch some stuff together on TV and stuff like that. And, but he, he only ever came to two of my games. I played competitive basketball from the third grade through the 12th grade. I mean, that was my sport. And even some post-high school just played a lot of rec league ball and stuff like that. My dad came to two of my games, but they were my two high scoring games ever. I mean, I was, you know, there was just something about knowing he was there. And I mean, it could have had an opposite effect. I could have played poorly, you know, trying to, trying to prove or perform, but I think I was just so glad he was there. It just meant so much. And both times it was against arch rivals. Uh, I think the first time I was maybe I think I was in the eighth grade on a junior high team, and I scored 26 points. We probably scored 40. I mean, I wasn't that good. I was that inspired, though. And I'm telling you, for me, on a more, more true times infinity, with just knowing that God is for us and with us, I feel so safe. I do. I was telling someone yesterday, I, you know, it just takes so much concern out of the picture for me about how all the details work out. If I just know that for the rest of my life, I can go do stuff with God, like I can walk and operate in His grace and in His love, I just feel so, uh, so confident in that. It's just, it's, yeah, I, I honestly am not ready to explain it. I just know it's true. It's really powerful for me. I'm going to, uh, 181 days till Christmas today. Tulio was after me for that information online yesterday like I wouldn't know. I was like, Tulio, you're funny, but I love you. But I want to share a word this morning with you. We're kind of shifting gears here for the rest of the summer and probably into the fall, to be honest. And um, But this morning, I really want to share some good news with you. I was, I was attentive to the news a bit this week. I, when you've been out of the country a lot, and then even the first couple of weeks that I've been back, to be honest, life was just so hectic with catch-up. But I do have... Uh, news app on my iPhone, which is where I get the majority of my news, you know, like when I'm stuck somewhere waiting for a minute, and I do get, you know, in those waiting uh, queues and modes and lines and whatnot, so I tend to read a good little bit of news in that way or whatever, uh, and it's not all good, you know. In fact, I don't know why is it so hard for good news to make the headlines. Good news doesn't usually make the headlines. It's There's news out there that's good and positive, but it's usually relegated to some feel-good spot which doesn't get uh, front coverage very often. And 
And I don't know if it's just that we're morbid in the way that we think and we, we like bad news more, read it more. I mean, I don't know. I assume they're good at their marketing strategies. But I don't want to share bad news with you this morning, though there's certainly plenty of things that aren't going so well. People ask me a lot of times, they'll say, how's everything? And I'm like, wow, everything? Sheesh, that's a bit broad. Uh, you know, and, and I can't say to you that it's all good. I'm not just a positive prognosticator, nor am I a negative prognosticator. I don't know how good I am at being a realist because somehow walking with God uh, makes me pretty optimistic as well. But I would rather say that, you know, that I have faith and that I walk in grace. And so often what I'll say is mostly good. I mean, you're probably sick of hearing me say that, but how is it mostly good? I think I said that the other day at Barnes & Noble. It's mostly good. Uh, but I'm totally blessed, and I know that seems redundant, but I haven't come up with something better to say. That's really how I feel. Um, but I want to tell you this morning that there's good news. I got some, some really good news for you today. Um, and Paul spoke about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. So we're going to go there just now. And we're talking about some good news today. Paul said this, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, and in which you also stand, through which you are also being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. And the scriptures in that, I mean, what he's saying is literally in, in fulfillment of prophecy. Some say, some believe that the prophecies uh, that refer to the Messiah may be as many as 300. There are a lot of prophecies. I, I'm telling you that, that it is easy to extract minimalistically. And I'm, I mean, I'm going like as minimalistically as you can about the prophecies relating to the life of Christ, pointing to him as the Messiah. And if you only would want to take 31... Like if you just want to take the top 31 prophecies about the life of Christ, the A.D. 33 death, the crucifixion, the way that he died, uh, the time that he died, the, the, I mean, literally in the Passover, if, if you want to take the fact that his bones weren't broken or back up and talk about his life and he spoke in parable, if you just want to take the 31 most obvious prophecies, the probability that those would be fulfilled in one man are astronomical. I just got the number here. I don't think it'll mean much to many people. It doesn't to me. I can spell the word algebra. I can. Calculus I struggle with. I'm not as sure. I need a spell check for that. But 1 in 2.54 times 10 to the 28th power, which is a lot. Someone said it this way, Tom, that you could take the earth and hollow it out 10 times and fill it full of dimes. That would be that number. You said four times? Whole bunch. It's a huge astronomical number. Monstrously astronomical number. My point in that is just this. Let's continue because Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, For I handed to you of first importance that which I received in accordance with Scripture. Anyway, I wanted to get to that, the prophecy, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture and that he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve, then appeared also to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. He was saying to them then, listen, there are still witnesses who are alive who attest to the fact that Jesus was real. 
That's what he was writing to the Corinthians. Listen, you know, he said this. He said, you know I'm not making this up. I've got good news. I, I brought to you the truth of the gospel as I had received it, and I communicated it directly to you. I want to share with you this morning some, some good news. The gospel. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that whenever uh, we were in uh, Mawakulipe just now in Zambia that, I guess now it's been several weeks ago, by the way, Caleb Knauss was in the house this morning. Caleb just got back on Thursday from South Africa. Caleb and Jacob, I don't see him just now. I bet he'll pop back in for the second service, but welcome home, Caleb. Um, but when we were in Mawakulipe and we had, we had had an opportunity to share the gospel, and, and if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go to dpnrv.org and just check that out under podcast because the stories of that day when the people came and wouldn't go away and were anxious to hear and ready to receive. But those guys then that got saved like a couple of days, by two days later, Terry, they were very intentional themselves in sharing the gospel to the degree that they were bringing Ben, they were bringing people to us. Like I'd be trying to catch a PB&J sandwich at lunch, you know, and just trying to get a break. And here comes this guy named Richard, has several other more complicated names, but here comes Richard. Clearly, he's walked at distance. He's brought people with him. He sets them down in chairs in front of me. And he says, he's got one phrase in English down by this point. And he says, they must hear the gospel. They must hear the gospel. Because even in that brief period of time, he's discovered just how great this news is. Like this, they don't have newspapers, they're not, they don't have a copy of the Bible, but they got word of mouth, you know, and they are spreading some good, dude, you got to hear this. I'm sure that that's not the phraseology he used, but nonetheless, that was what he communicated to get these guys to walk an hour in one direction to come and sit in front of a stranger from far away and hear, you got to hear the good news, the gospel. I wonder sometimes, church... If we've forgotten the gospel. Maybe we haven't forgotten the significance of the message, but what if we actually have forgotten the message? I bet if someone were to ask you, what about dwelling place? What kind of church is dwelling place? I think we would say things like, this is what all churches pretty much say. We believe the Bible. We, you know, the truth and... We'd probably make some references around here to law and grace or, you know, freedom. Or, but I hope and believe that we would say, you know, we just, we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And we believe in the power of salvation. We might even say, we probably wouldn't because our language tends to be a bit more modern. And I, I will make no apologies for that. But we might even say, you know, we're a church that believes in the gospel. What is the gospel? What's the good news? I got some good news for you. Church, I got some good news. Good news. Because in Genesis 1, verse 1, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this same creative God, right, who created man to know him and to be known by him, created us to be a part of his family, his sons and his daughters, when in that beginning... There was separation caused by sin in the lives of Adam and Eve when there was disobedience that caused a separation or relational severing. God already made a plan. 
He begins to reveal that plan in Genesis chapter 12 when he says to Abraham that through your seed the entire world will be blessed. And then in Genesis 17, he reveals a covenant that he would make with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And he begins to lay out his plan for redemption. In fact, you could back all the way up to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and you could see that, that he already had a plan to bring his son to bruise the head of the serpent that brought the, dis, uh, the disobedience, the opportunity for disobedience in the first place. Genesis 3.15 is probably the first messianic prophecy, really. Moses records it for us. But he already had a plan. Good news. In the middle of bad news, he was already telling a story of good news. Then if you push forward in Genesis, you'll find a story of famine in the, um, in the lives of the children of Israel. And you'll see that there was one Joseph... I mean, I'm fast-forwarding here through the life of Abraham. I'm giving you the quick version. But you'll see that there was one Joseph who um, was sold into slavery, but in a great act of redemption, God set him up as an authority in the land, and he may well have been the first type of Christ. He was established as a redeemer for the children of Israel, God's chosen people, because of the obedience of Abraham and the promise made to him. So you see that, that in the life of Joseph there was redemption, but then the, the scripture tells us in chapter 42 of the book of Genesis, I'm giving you a quick recap here. Are you, are you with me? In case we've forgotten. The Bible tells us in Genesis 42 that Joseph died. And he said to his brothers, he said, Listen, when you go back to the land that was given to our fathers, take me with you. I won't be left here. Pack my bones up and take them with you. But then the word of God tells us that there was a new king in town. He said, look, these children of Israel, man, they're prolific. And we better get a handle on this. And so they were enslaved by the Pharaoh. But then once again, God provided a redeemer in the life of Moses. So we see this in the story of Moses and the stories of the Exodus. And, and we can fast forward all the way to chapter 12 of Exodus when the last plague happened and they crossed the Red Sea and they made it back in, and they wandered in the wilderness and they were heading toward the promised land, right? Getting where God wanted them to go. And then we, we see that they ultimately eventually made it. And then you can fast forward through the life of David, which in and of itself is a great story. It's a part of the gospel story. One of the amazing things in the life of David is we see the fulfillment of so many prophecies. And we see that in David there was a promise of a Messiah from his lineage, which happened twice over. When God makes stuff come true, he makes it come real true. I know this isn't a great biblical lesson, so if I lost anyone right there, feel free to call me for a cup of coffee because I'd love to talk about it. But we carry on through the story, the great story, the story of the Bible, redemption story, the gospel message, and we see that fast forward into the life of Christ. There's so much more to say there. But fast forward and into the life of Christ. If I were sharing this gospel message, I would have said to someone, I would have said that... I would have said this on campus at Virginia Tech. The same as I would have said it in the bush of Western Zambia. I would have said that I believe that there is a creator of everything. I don't believe in evolution as the explanation for origin. I believe evolution happens but not across species. And I don't think it accounts for the origin of anything. I think God was the creator of everything. 
And I think he created man for his own pleasure, for relationship with him, to be his sons and his daughters, to make a family for himself. And I believe that man's disobedience separated us relationally from God, the creator God, the God of the Bible. Even as my new friend recently asked me again, sitting on an airplane, why would God do that? Why would God send his son? Why would he send himself? Why would he send his son? Because only God could counterbalance man's disobedience. Only a sacrifice as great as God could do that. He did that in the person of Jesus Christ. And why would he do that? Because John 3.16 again says, as we said last week, the heart of the Father is best described in this passage of Scripture, which simply says that God loved the world so much. That's the gospel. Good news. I've got good news for you today. <sighs> Come on, church. The story is about us. I loved you so much. I wish there was some way we could wrap our hearts around that. About a year and a little bit ago, I preached a word called the love of God is strong. Just talked about how strong the love of God is. And if we really knew and understood how strong it was, how much we, would, how much we could rest in it and how motivated we would be to share it, if we really believed it was as good as it is. The love of God is strong. For God so loved. There's not anyone in this house, not anyone in this house that would give their kid for me. Some of you would die for me. You'd jump in front of it for me. But you wouldn't push your kid to take my place. Crazy, undefinable. I don't know. I don't know what other words. I don't have adjectives for this. The gospel. This is the gospel. For God so loved us that he gave himself, rather even his only son, so that the whosoever clause could be true. So that whosoever believed in him Romans 3.23 says it this way, sharing the gospel right now. If I were sharing the gospel at Virginia Tech, if I were sharing the gospel at in Maui Quilipe, I would say Romans 3.23, though, says this, that all, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none good but one. Nobody's ever been good enough. Some might say, well, you know, you, I've been good. I'm pretty good. I get to go to heaven. But the Bible says that that's not so. So you can't believe the Bible and believe that that's true. The gospel doesn't say you can be good enough. But it does say you don't have to be. That's good news. Because I wasn't going to make it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When they let that arrow go, it didn't make it to the target, let alone hit the sinner. God in His glory made up the difference. Romans 6.23 says that this way. The wages of sin are death. What a great place for a conjunction. But the gift of God is eternal life. 
say, well, but, you know, there are a lot of paths that lead to heaven. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. I would say this in Maui Kualipe, and in fact, I just did. And I would say this at Virginia Tech, which I have done many times. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby man must be saved. Believing, I say this so much. You know, I don't know that my, the way that I teach often is that rememberable, but I hope you'll remember this. I've been saying it a lot and on purpose. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, to those who believed in him, to those who received him, to those he gave the right to be called the children of God. Believe on the name of Jesus and you shall be saved. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Paul had something to say about that too when he said this, and this is kind of, this is where Paul Harvey comes in. He died a couple years ago. I still like his phrase. You know where I'm going with this. The rest of the story, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, then let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will stand as a guard over your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus, he didn't just save us, but he set us up in safety. It's good news. It's the gospel. A few things to think about in relationship to the gospel. Just a few today. Number one, the gospel Is powerful. I want us this morning to consider the power of the gospel. This message that I've just shared with you in fast form, okay? There's more that can be said, but that gospel, that message that I just shared with you, it, it is strong. There are people every week who, when they hear it, are amazed to know that it is true, that it is by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That's a strong message. That's powerful. I have uh, an acquaintance, well, not even really that, but someone that I got to hear speaking several years ago, and she was sharing, and I did have a brief opportunity to sit in conversation with her a few years after that first interaction, but she was sharing and she was speaking, and she had been a missionary in Nepal. I believe that's correct, and she, she was interacting with, um, yeah, that's right, Nepal, and she was interacting with Buddhist and even Buddhist priests, and, and she wasn't in a place where she was allowed to share the gospel. The gospel, sorry. I got excited there for a second. She wasn't allowed to share the good news, but she did it anyway. And she had an opportunity to interact and share one day with someone who was a Buddhist priest. And when she shared this message with him, he simply said, this cannot be true. This can't be true. And when she asked him, well, why? Tell, uh, help me understand what your objections are, why you can't believe it. And he said, because if this were true, someone would have told me about it before. 
couple years ago, had an opportunity to go into a different village. And we were chatting with an Induna who had actually about two months before come to Jesus, a local tribal elder. And, and this man was old. I, I should have brought a picture. He was really an old guy. And, and in Zambia, if you want to be in charge, just get old because not very many people live to be old. So eventually you'll be in charge if you just outlive everybody. But this dude was genuinely old, like in his upper 80s, which is... I mean, four times almost the average life expectancy, which is 28. So not quite four times, but three and a half anyway. And so he's, he was sharing, and, and his wife kind of set off in the distance. She was probably half his age, which made her a pretty elderly lady. And she was setting off in the distance. And um, I asked, actually, Paul, I said, well, when we left, I said, I don't understand. I mean, he was clearly very uh, pro-Jesus, and you could tell he had a real relationship with God, and he was very excited to talk to us about God, but his wife seemed pretty obstinate, and I know that, you know, I can't speak her language, but I caught that vibe. And he said, well, she is very upset that he became a believer. She's, she had actually even said to him, how can you do this? I mean, at one point he had been, I mean, he was not only the tribal elder in the Anduna, but he had served at one point as the witch doctor, and so he, was, he had a lot of credibility and clout in that area and a lot of authority. And, and she just said, you, you seem like an old fool, essentially, at this point. How can, you, how can you make this kind of decision and make this, you know, everything you've ever believed in your whole life, you're, you're casting off, and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I've never heard truth like this truth. How can I not believe it? I'm trying to encourage you to believe this today, that the, there is power in the gospel that the truth of who He is, the story of His love and the power of redemption and the greatness of grace, that's powerful stuff, church. This is a story that stands on its own. It tells itself. Love does something that we can't explain or predict. It works. We don't have to argue for it. It argues for us. power in the gospel the gospel is sharp hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 sharper than any two-edged sword the word of god says able to sort it out in us i mean to cut asunder and to set things straight and to make it known and to make it clear the word of god the story of redemption the gospel the good news it's strong it sees it says there's, a, there's not a prophetic edge to the gospel. The gospel is prophetic. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? When I start to share the gospel, when I, I bring this message to bear in this world, it works. I never have greater revelation than when I share the good news with someone. When I start to share with them, it's not, it's not methodical, it's not mechanical, it's not dry and dead. It is alive and well and it works. People start looking at me like, what in the whole world? This dude been sitting in on my quiet time. Well, maybe they didn't have a quiet time. <laughs> Reading my mail. Because the gospel is strong, the word of God is real. Matthew 5, 3. Again, just simply says it this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. For theirs is the very kingdom. Even when we are weak, he is strong. I want to talk about a spiritual workout, right? Embrace the story. 
of the gospel. It's the strength and the life of the one who has lived it. Augustus Toplady said it this way, the gospel works in such a way that a feeble faith may lay hold of a strong Christ. The gospel works in such a way that a feeble faith may take hold of a strong Christ. It's not those that are strong that find the gospel, but it is the gospel that makes those that are strong, strong. Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. Y'all going to stick around right quick? Don't quit early. Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is the gospel. By the way, you know this passage, but understand this, that this is the gospel. So to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The gospel is is strong. The gospel is liberating. Power of the gospel. That's what I'm talking about right now. The power of the gospel is sharp. It can see. And it can speak to the very insides of who we are. And to those in our world, the gospel is, is strong and the gospel is liberating. But you know what? And that's true for us too, by the way. You might be walking in a redemptive relationship. You may be, as we would say in the church, saved this morning. You may be saved. You might have been redeemed from the penalty of sin. Your debt might have been covered by the goodness and the grace of God and forgiveness. But it may very well be that there are still bondages in your life and the path to freedom is still the path to freedom. It is the truth of God's grace and love for you, the gospel, the good news. It's very liberating. It liberates us even from fear. It's very pervasive. Uh, There was a blog this week on the DP uh, website. I don't know if you got to see this, a DP Kids a blog. Yeah, it's the fearless one there. Did anyone get to read that? But check this out, what some of the kids said um, about fear and over, having overcome it. Um, it's amazing to me what God can speak in the life of a kid who has confidence in the truth of his word. What do they say in, from, the mouths of, from the mouths of babes? These are some of your kids. Bro, you can't get that open? That's cool. So, so one of the kids said, I'll, I'll pull it up real quick, but one of the kids said that um, they had been freed from the fear of alligators. Yeah. I was like, who's got a moat at their house? Who in our church has a moat? I want to know about that. Someone else said that they had been freed from the fear of fear. The power of God's truth. It's liberating. 
I've shared with some of you before, maybe you've been asked this question directly, but one day, maybe three or four years ago, I was chatting with Rick. I think it was actually before we had moved back, and I was chatting with Rick one day, and we, we weren't even talking about this. You ever get in one of these conversations? Like, we were talking about something else, and then all of a sudden, Rick just says, um, are you afraid? I thought maybe he was talking, you know, because we were, yeah. I was like, no, I'm, I feel pretty confident about everything at the moment. He said, no, I mean, is there any fear in your life? And I said, well kind of afraid to answer that question. Seemed a little tricky. And um, he said, well, the word of God says this, that perfect love casts out all fear. We appear to be having a website issue, man. I can't get it open either. One of the kids said this. They said, oh, you got it. Boy, appreciate that, Lord. It wasn't necessary. Okay, but see what this says. Boy, age 12. Love means never being afraid to make a mistake. Never being afraid you're, when you're asleep. Uh, never being afraid to be myself. <sighs> Bam. How good was that? That was a good one. A love means never being afraid of the dark. Age five, that's legit. Love means never being afraid to go on roller coasters. But does it help you not get sick? Boy, age eight. Love means never being afraid of dying. Never being afraid of Satan. We tell people in the bush. Tell people on campus too. A lot of people battle with demons. We say, we like to clean the language up in the States. We'll say, well, everybody's got their demons. I ain't got no, I don't own no demon. I don't want no demon owning me. Hush that up. Do not speak that over me. I'm going to tell those demons in the name of Jesus where to go and how to get there. Go that way and hang a left and go straight to never mind. <laughs> Boy, age 10, love means never being afraid of fear itself. I said that. That was strong, too. Alligators, I mean, hey, that could be legit. But maybe the last two are as good as any of the others, hey? Girl, age 6, love means never being afraid to love people. And never being afraid to be beautiful. I still say that, by the way, to Karen. I only got two more days before I get to see her. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked about that. And that's an understatement. I can't really explain that to you right now. I just miss her really badly. Suffice it to say. But I still say to her, I said to her this weekend, I said, go be beautiful. I want to give her an assignment that's easy. The gospel, the power of the gospel. That's what this is. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel is strong. Listen to me. Darkness is pervasive. The scripture tells us that that's so. When darkness exists in the heart of man, it can be pervasive. When it exists in a community, it can be pervasive. It, it impacts a lot of things. Like when no one's walking with God in an area and that area is devoid of the truth of the good news of who He is and the love and the grace that He has for us. Pardon the old language, but the gospel, when it's void of that reality, darkness, the heaviness is... Is, is amazing. Like you can walk into that area and you can just sense the heaviness and the desperation. You don't have to go over the ocean to find it either, FYI. One of the heaviest things I've ever done in this area is just to go ride the BT late on a Friday night or Saturday night. 
Let's go ride to Blacksburg Transit with a bunch of kids. It's not a bad place to do a prayer ride, by the way. I think we should do freedom rides. Like in the day, like them folks did in Mississippi, if you've ever been to the uh, Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham, man, we should do some freedom rides on the Blacksburg Transit. We shouldn't get freaky, you know, and start, like, speaking in tongues over people loudly. I don't think that would be effective. It would be okay to pray in tongues. I will just encourage you to do that quietly, at least for a minute. Maybe get loud later. Sure wouldn't hurt, though, to pray some freedom into some dark places, would it? We're always looking for ways, creative ways, to go love our world. I've got a couple of thoughts for you. I'm serious right now. Hearing a 20 soma vision right there, Chad. Freedom rides. Hmm. Darkness is very pervasive, but I want to say this to you that light dominates darkness. Can I encourage you in that? That that's true? That we don't have to be afraid to go anywhere? We can walk right into the. I mean, Jesus took care of this, right? Where God says to us that while he was in the throes of death, he, he descended into the depths of hell and he took those keys. And he has given us authority. And we, we can walk in the face of the opposition of the enemy and that light dominates. Can I give you that phrase? Light dominates darkness. Not, not religious people, not uh, Christian cliches. I'm talking about people who are walking in the power of who he is, that the power that he has and has allocated to us. Are you hearing what I'm saying right now? The authority of the throne of God in the good news of the gospel. That's the message he wants told by the way. He don't want us trying to convince somebody our church is better than anybody else's. I'm talking about telling somebody about life in Christ Jesus and reconciliation to the Father and destiny as sons and daughters. You tell that message and you walk in authority and light. Darkness is pervasive. True story. Until somebody flips a switch. And then light comes in and dominates dominates darkness. I could give you story after story after story. I could tell you about a Chinese student. I could, I could tell you the most recent revelation. I just got last night, I was on the phone um, with one of the kids who's still in Zambia. And he was telling me about going back to Malikulipe. And the already, already the transition that's happening in that area that previously had been incredibly dark. I mentioned to you about passing back through Naalau, where we had been year before, or last year, I should say, where we had been last year. And there had they had... Uh, received that there had been a curse that had been spoken over their land and it couldn't grow any vegetables, it couldn't grow any crops. And, and we just stepped up in there, man, and we just prayed that those curses would be broken. And we drove back through there a year later and we found fertile fields full of vegetables that they now sell in town and eat. Because the gospel is powerful strong 
It's the part where I feel obligated to say, I'm not making this up. Telling you the truth. Look in the life of Paul. My goodness, I never get tired of saying that. Greatest persecutor in the history of the church becomes, becomes the greatest missionary evangelist because of the power of redemption, the strength of the gospel. The power of the gospel, I also want to talk to you about the person of the gospel. Because before we get too far into this conversation and we talk about the gospel, let's not forget that the gospel, it's not just about, but it is. The person of the gospel is Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Christ. Again, Acts 4.12, there's no other name given among men. Or John 14.6, when Jesus himself said, I am, I'm not just, I don't just tell you about the way. I'm not just giving you a revelation of truth. I am the truth. Why is that such a good part of the good, good news? Because it is in knowing Him. It is a relational. Hear this. Hear this really well. It is a relational revelation. It's not something you just know here, but you know Him. You know Him. And when you know Him, huh? you've known truth. That it is in Him that you know the power of the gospel. It was, it was Jesus who changed Naolau. You don't have to go far to figure that out. The God of all creation stepped back into creation and when given right His rightful place, He began to set things straight. He is the person of the gospel. It was He who changed and is changing me. It's not just a teaching... It's a teacher. Who walks with me and works with me and works in me. He changed you too. He's the reason you have such a beautiful marriage and an amazing family. person of the gospel that's doing what's being done in your life and in your family and in your kids. I just love the way he didn't leave us. I said it was 181 days till Christmas. Right? He is Emmanuel. I hadn't done this in like a few months. It was overdue. He is Emmanuel. God with us. person the person of the gospel aren't you glad there's a person sheesh I am and then lastly the hope of the gospel the power of the gospel the person of the gospel about the hope of the gospel. Scripture makes it clear to us that the gospel is the hope of the world. Wouldn't you say that that's so? 
If you're a believer today, wouldn't you say that that's so? That the gospel is the hope of the world, the hope that the world has? It's the gospel, man. It's the truth of who Jesus is and the greatness of his grace and love. It's the hope of the world. I'm convinced, though, that this is also true, that the church is the hope of the gospel. Let me repeat that phrase. That the gospel is the hope of the world and the church is the hope of the gospel. We talk a lot about this word church. Um, we, we think of it in terms of the word ecclesia, which honestly, literally, if you go back and try to work out the, the English origin of the word church, really comes more from a word whose origin meant a possessive form of the word Lord or Lords. This belongs to him. So kind of the word church itself has a different, a different origin. But for us, what we mean when we say church is this assembly. That's what the word ecclesia means. It could refer to almost any assembly. But when it's the Lord's assembly, we know we're talking about the church, right? It's his church. It's his church. It's not our church. It's not dwelling place even. When we talk about the church, we're talking about the one with the big C, right? Or for your purposes, the big C. We're talking about the church. We're talking about his church, his assembly, his his family. His family. And his family is the hope of the gospel. His church is the hope of the gospel. It's the way that this story, like it or not, it is the way that this story, his story, gets told. Do you hear what I'm saying? Am I convinced that it is the only way? There's one of my favorite books is a book. I was just talking actually to Jim Abel's mom about this last week. But it's a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. And we experience this consistently that when we go somewhere where no one's ever heard, we find that they've had a bit of a revelation of who he is. And often we're just, we're just making it more clear. We're just finishing the story for them. We are the Apostle Paul walking up Mars Hill who says, I noticed that you had a, a tomb that was inscripted to an unknown God. I'm about to make that known to you. Let me go ahead and identify him to you. But the church, church, is the hope of the gospel. I think that that on some level, to be completely honest with you this morning, should be sobering. I mean, I like you to smile. But that's a bit sobering. I've said to you before that uh, somehow on some levels the resurrection is easier for me to receive. I won't say believe, but almost easier for me to receive than the ascension. Because it just seems like the ascension was such a bad idea to me. That God would leave this to us. To the twelve, to the seventy, to the... That's what he's done. Now, he didn't leave us without himself. He sent himself back in the person of the Holy Spirit. He said, go into all the world, and lo, I'm with you always. Oh, I went King James, even to the end of the age. You go, but I go with you. But I go with you when you go. That the church is the hope of the gospel. I was this week a lot, finishing up here. 
I was this week a lot. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm not finishing up. One of the things I was sharing earlier with Kwaku, one of the comforts and been that the Lord gave me, I was like, Lord, I think that 80% of this morning's word is an introduction to something that I really feel like you want to say. But the Lord said, you've got to go back and say the rest of this first before you can say the rest of that. And the Lord said, don't worry, you get to talk again. You don't have to say it all on one Sunday. So if you can't come back, I would encourage you to listen online. <laughs> Because this is really a bit of an introduction to some things that the Lord wants to say. But I was in Luke chapter 14 this week. Great chapter. I know, I know, I know. I always say that I always say that. Because I always say that. But it is a great chapter. Luke 14 is, is, is pretty hectic. Luke 14 was the day when Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house. It was a setup. Uh, because they really had intended to bring a man there that had, the scripture says dropsy. I don't know what that is, but I don't want it. And they brought him there. It was Sabbath day, and he was invited to the Pharisee's house. It's interesting to me that when he was invited to the Pharisee's house, he always went. At least whatever we see in Scripture, he always went. He he wasn't a jerk to those guys. I mean, he was hard on them, but he was invited, so he went. And the Scripture says that they brought this man in who had dropsy. They wanted to see if they could trap him. They were trying to always find a way to say, Ha-ha, now we can get this guy. And so they brought this guy in, and, and Jesus just turned it back on them. He said, Hey, do you think... Uh, that it's okay to heal this man on the Sabbath. <laughs> he asked them, and they didn't say anything. They're like, oh, man, he always does that. And you push forward in that passage, then there's the place where they were all fighting for the best seat at the table. And he just expressed to them that in the kingdom of God, that the one that took the less seat would be advanced, and the one that tried to take the great seat, the one that humbles himself, right, will be advanced, and the one that that is prideful or tries to esteem himself or establish himself, will be humbled. And then somehow he still had a huge crowd following him. Follow this story through, there was still a huge bunch of people and then one of the most difficult passages maybe in the entire Bible to digest because then he looks at them and he says, Look, anyone who follows me and does not hate his mother or his father can't be my follower. I mean, that's tough. That's tough, tough language. And he says, even hate his own life. That's what he says, even hate his own life. Now, not to, to take time really to teach this, but that word hate there, is a, it's, it's a similar word in the Hebrew that was used in the story of uh, Rachel when the scripture says that um, Jacob loved Rachel and hated Leah. But literally what the passage of, is saying there is that he loved Rachel in a different, deeper way than he loved Leah. So I don't want you to, I don't want to weaken the strength of this. It's strong, but I want you to know that that word hate has taken on a different kind of connotation. Just, just say it. Go back and sort that out for yourself. But nonetheless, it was hard. He was saying, look, you have to love following me more than anything, even your mother or father or your own life. Like in an honestly, in a completely different way, you love following me. And to the degree that you're willing to lay everything else down. Still had a crew, though. I'm thinking a few, I mean, you know, the disciples, if they were in church growth mode, they were like, man, this guy is so not strategic. But then as you push forward, he tells them a story. Actually, I jumped ahead. The story I want to tell you is between those two events that I just shared with you. Because in the middle there, he tells them a story after that he had rebuked them for wanting the best place at the table. He said, let me tell you a story about a man. And he put out an invitation to a feast. He had set out a great feast. Yeah, come ahead, BJ. I'm ready for you. He said this man had laid out a great feast, and when he had done that, um, 
he invited. He had all these people that actually he had pre-invited, but then all those people begin to come up with excuses about why they couldn't come. You know the story, Luke 14. I think it starts maybe around verse 13. And he said, because, he said, one man said, well, I've bought a chunk of property and I've got to go see that. And another man said, this, this, is, this cracks me up right here, but another man said, I bought five yokes of oxen. I don't know when Jesus, like, had his parables. I don't know where he came up with his statistics, but five yokes of oxen. What was that guy going to do, pull a barge? I don't know what he was doing. I bought five yokes of oxen. I've got to go test them out. Ten ox. Man. And then another guy. This seems random to me, too. I'm going to have so much fun talking to Jesus. Actually, I already do. But then the other guy said, I just got married. <laughs> that seems most legit to me. But And he was, he was very offended. And he said to his servant, he said, just go and find the people that are, that are forgotten, essentially. Go find the ones that are forgotten and invite them to come. Then he came back to his master and he said, okay, many of them are coming, essentially, but there's still a lot of space left. And then he said this to him. He said, then go into the highways, the byways, and compel them to come in. Compel them. You know what drives me in terms of vision here in Dwelling Place? I want us to be compelling with the gospel. That's why I can't leave you alone, Angie. Because a whole lot of the way that you tell the story is a way that no one else tells it. And it's very compelling. We have to tell the story. It's a story worth telling. It's a powerful story. It's a story about a person named Jesus. And it's our story to tell. We're the hope of the gospel. The gospel is the hope of the world, not the church. But the church is the hope of the gospel. It's our story. It's the family. Who better to talk about the father than the sons and the daughters? How can we not be compelling? This word compel is a Greek word that literally translates forcefully or literally to drive them. I ain't making that up. Forcefully. Wesley said it this way, though, of this word compel. He said, the force of God's love. Compel them with the force of God's love. That'll work. That's the best tool in the bag right there. Church, don't you want to see people meet Jesus? Come to Christ for real, for real? Like lots of people. Listen, I don't care. I don't even care about building a new building or nothing like that. Poor grammar, I know. There I go again. I don't care about that. We can send them out again. That's okay with me. Hey, we can just send them somewhere else again. Plant another church. Do something else. But we have to see the lost get found. It's for us to do. It's great life too, by the way. Compel them. With a whole lot of intentional living, 
and a whole lot of intentional loving. And then just let them write on your tombstone, well done. When you get done. Till you get dead, you're not done. What are we doing with our lives? I say let's live them for the sake of the gospel. As Paul said. Can you think of a better cause? I can't. It's good news. This week. I had a friend call last week that does a church camp in the summer. And. He asked me if I could come. He actually said it this way. This was how he gave me this invitation. He said, hey, um, I'm, we're doing church camp next week. We'll be at the Church of God campground in Roanoke. If that's close to you. And he said, um, we do staff meeting during our morning chapel. And I was wondering if you could just come and share for a few minutes on Tuesday morning. I said, dude, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I can make that work. I would love to, but I'm just not sure if I can. And then I, I actually got to thinking, well, on Tuesday, I'm going to go to Roanoke anyway. I need to go to Roanoke. I was going to go visit the hospital and do some stuff. And I said, well, so I called him back and I said, you know, I think actually that makes perfect sense. I don't have a morning meeting on Tuesday. It's opposite week and I, I could do that. That would be cool. I thought he just wanted me to come share with the staff for a few minutes. Uh, maybe encourage them about investing in these kids and that kind of thing. So I thought, yeah, I could do that. I mean, that really honestly thought, you know, that life preparation is good enough for that. I don't need to do anything else to get ready for that. So um, I got up that morning. I was really in a hurry. I was thinking, man, 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 I almost wish I hadn't said I'd do that. But no, it's a good opportunity, Lord. I know, I know. So and I'm hustling down I-81, or I should say up I-81, and I get about... 132. I mean, it's, it's just past where you would hit 581 up at 146 and you double back. I'd never noticed that campground there before, but there is actually a campground. So I called him, or no, he called me. I said, man, I'm, I'm getting close. I'm maybe 10 minutes away. He said, no, you're good. You got 15 minutes, but I just know we're about to go ahead and go into staff meeting. And so I just wanted to touch base with you real quick and say, you know, we may get out of staff meeting before you finish speaking to the kids at chapel. But if we don't, like, I have got to listen better. As I was thinking, I've got to listen better. I didn't say anything to him. I said, no, that's, that's cool, man. I'm with you. No worries. Got off the phone. I'm like, Lord, I didn't bring my Bible. Didn't bring a journal. And I was thinking leadership. And all I got in my heart, God, is what I've got in my heart, and that's the gospel. That's ready to go. Honestly, I was pretty stuck on a word from a couple of weeks ago, thanks to Joe Caldwell, who stayed up late one night and made a brief video of the drawings that Tiffany did about, if you seek me, you will find me. And that ministered to me. This ministered to me. It's like it spoke right back to my heart. So I went and just told that story. So if you seek him, you will find him. And I told him about the gospel. I don't know, it's maybe 160, 180 kids. Man, that was like getting shot out of a cannon. It was like I've been preparing my whole life for that moment. I mean, I know I'm not the main speaker for that week or whatever, but I'm going to hop in there for about 30 minutes and I'm just going to blow up. 
that really wasn't what I thought. I thought I'm going to get up there and go, Hi, uh, y'all should really invest in the kids. No, wait. You are the kids, aren't you? Jesus loves it, though, when you tell the gospel. He's into that. I knew it was working. It's the gospel. It's what it does. I wasn't good, but the gospel was great. I could see folks leaking and stuff. I said, some of you man, you're old church camp veterans, and you just jackknifed into the power of God this week, and others of you were like, hey, y'all got me wet. I didn't come here for this. God wants to step into your life and interrupt your existence with the truth about who you are. I'm thinking maybe there's two or three kids that are about to meet Jesus. That's going to be epic. It would be too. So I said, I did something I don't usually do. And I said, is there one person in the house today that knows? I'm going to use church language. That's why I told him. I'm going to use church language. If you're here today and you know you're not saved, and if Jesus came back, you are not ready to meet him, and you would not go to heaven. And is there one person that knows that today, and you want, you want to know Jesus? You want to say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, redeem me, and, and Lord, it's just grace me to walk my life in accordance to your purposes and plans. If, that's, if there's, there's one person, there's one, there's two, there's three. There's three people, and I'm starting to feel that thing I sometimes feel that I think maybe, you know, I need to pray through about for sure because I was thinking maybe they don't understand what I meant because, you know, I want to make sure they know that I'm talking about you really, which isn't my business, to be honest. Lord's dealing with me about that. I said, there's three people who know that today there's four. There's five people who are saying that six, there's six. People who say that if Jesus, there's seven and eight, and... There are eight people who know that there's nine and ten. There's 11, 12 kids today who are saying that they want Jesus to be their Savior. There's 13 and 14, 15. There's 16 and 17. And 18. And 19. And 20. Who today are saying they want Jesus to change their life forever? Because I got good news. Man, the staff came back. I mean, first of all, their heads are bowed, and I'm looking at the one guy that's running sound. I'm in this whole chapel by myself, and I'm going, Who's going to pray with these people? We need some follow-up. I was like, Lord. Powerful, powerful prayer. God just totally showed up in. Changed my life. I never get tired of that message and the way that it ministers to me. And then the counselors came back and they're like, oh, wow, what just happened? And I left. Go do my thing. They're breaking into small groups to deal with the fact that 20 people just met Jesus. Friends that friends had compelled to come to camp. Because that right there, my friend, is how the lost get found. Lord, draw us to the truth of your word today. The gospel. And teach us to tell it. Teach me, God again and again and and to keep it fresh and new and real and alive and relational, God, and move us as a church to a place of effectiveness in 
relationship with you and the reality of who we are and your family. And God, find us faithful with the charge that you have given us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's not, that's for all of us, your family. And Lord, raise us up as sons and daughters, regardless of our personality, temperament, extrovert and introvert alike, Lord. Teach us to love like you love and to live in a way that tells your story. And sometimes, God, even to use our mouths to make words that make a difference. For the sake of the gospel, that any might be saved to believe that. And Lord, I pray this. Give us the lost for an inheritance in the New River Valley. Lord, that it's, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to go over the ocean and tell your story. God, this is our spot. This is our place. This is our world. Let us live on perpetual mission here and believe that you save people here too, all the time. That's good news, God. Move us. And dare I say, Lord, motivate us. In Jesus' name. Bring us together, God, in such an amazing way that there's so much dimension to the way that this church even tells your story. Lord, let every part of the body come into to action. Teach me, Lord. Teach us as a team how, how, to, how to bring the fullness of the body into full effect in this place and in this time and in this season. It's your church, Lord. Dwell in place. It's your church, Lord. And let's live this out for, by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd be remiss. I mean, it would make no sense at all if I didn't say right now, would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Is there one in this house today? And you would say, if the Lord came back today, listen, it's if I don't need anybody to respond for me, I want you to look deep inside your heart and allow the Lord to speak to you. And if you are here this moment and you know, if Jesus came back today, you're not walking in a right and redemptive relationship with him to use that church word, you know you're not saved. Look, it is not my heart or my part to call your salvation into question. I would not do that for anything. I'm simply saying, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what you know in your heart. And if you know, according to what the Lord has revealed to you, that you are not ready to meet him. And today you would like to respond to the truth of his word, the gospel, and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you just this opportunity. Would you slip up your hand so that we can pray together? Amen. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. You can just slip it right back down. Anyone else? You know. Praise Jesus. Mercy. I know I've done this this way before. I don't know a better way to do it. But if you would say, I'm going to pray with that person that raised their hand in just one moment. But I'm going to ask you this. If you were here this morning 
just before we go, then I'll cut you loose. But if you would say, count me in. Listen, instruction to follow. Um, there's more to come. But if today you would say, count me in. Put me in the willing pool, as we say, of those who would want to live their life for the sake of God's gospel. To live in um, that liberating uh, cause that is Christ Jesus. Not his cause, but it is Christ Jesus. You say, I count me in a willing pool. I, I want to find my way into the message to tell the story. Count me in the willing pool. And if that's you, I, what I'm going to ask you to do is, is to come and just find a place to pray. I, I'm going to ask you to do that. Or you can pray in your seat. But I need some of you to come and pray here. I just ask you to get out and take a few moments before we go. I think we need to transact, as I say, on the grace of God and just say, Lord, help me with what's in my heart right now and make it true. Because we'll never get this done just because we want to. We need to walk with Him and in His grace to be who we're meant to be in relationship to the gospel. But if that's you, can you just take a moment, a few moments, and pray? And some of you, please, come to the front, to the laminate. Others of you can pray where you are. But on the count of three, I'll just ask you to respond to that in that way. One, two, three, go. Go. think about this body, even this body, this church. And by the way, we are not alone. The New River Valley is loaded. I believe that. I believe there are a lot of great churches and great people here who want to have the same sort of impact. And I trust that God's busy speaking the same sorts of words. And, and trust me when I say that I sense that the Lord is going to speak some things forward for us. We're not this. This is kind of a Genesis, a launch moment for us. And, uh, but I'll say this, that the setup, I mean, there's a lot of effectiveness in this church and has been for a long time. There are a lot of people who are effective in sharing their faith. My heart, though, is just that as a family, we reemphasize that. Can I say that? Just reemphasize? But that also, you know, we try to bring everybody along because I promise you all of us have a part to play. And the best way I know to know God, right, is to go walk it out with God. I said to you last week again that the inextricably linked commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, is something we're going to be talking a lot about. I don't believe we can really love God or know the love of God and not love other people. I just think those are inextricably linked one to the other. And so to know God in fullness is to walk with God in freedom. Right? But that's not an introspective sort of self-grandizing or make me feel good sort of thing. It's, hey, so I can live this out. Man, heaven's coming, y'all. Heaven's coming. The Word of God says, work while it's day. Work while it's day. Look at the fields. I'm not going to apologize for what the Bible says. Look at the fields. They're white and the harvest. The harvest turns out contrary to popular belief. It's plentiful. 
oh, I just want to go to those places where everybody's ready to come to Jesus. I have to admit, that's that's pretty good. I like it too. And it's right here. Right now. The harvest is plentiful. Who knew? But the laborers pray therefore. Could you do that this week? Can I ask you please to do that this week? I'm serious. Pray therefore. The Lord of the harvest. Send Well, I'll pray that God sends you, Ron. That's fine with me. You go ahead. You'll be the one missing out. You go ahead. You just keep praying that. That's fine with me. No, it's really not. I'm being facetious. It's fine for me, but it's not fine with me. Because we need the fullness of the body. None of us. You say, well, you're good at it. No, I'm not. Gospel is powerful. I believe. Most of the time. True story. My faith isn't where I want it to be either, but I got enough to move a mountain. I'm supposed to stop talking at this point how this works Lord Jesus bless us as we go with a desire to do what matters to you no apologies for that prayer bless us as we go because that would be a huge blessing with a desire to do what matters to you cause us to be who we're made to be as sons and daughters tell the father's story Meet needs that exist in people's hearts. Heal and hold. Strengthen. Provide, Lord. Be who you are, Jehovah Jireh. Every financial need, every physical need. Let us live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. BJ's going to sing this song, but you are liberated. You're free to go. Love you very much. Thank you for staying with me. Appreciate that. I'm going to sing with him. See you next Sunday.